All right, I'm going to start with a picture here on the screen. Can we get that up there? That's my dog, Zelda. Some of you guys have been to our house and you've seen Zelda. She doesn't look like that anymore. She's eight years old today, so she's a pretty large dog. In this photo, this was the day after we brought her home, I believe, she was eight weeks old. So she was just the tiniest, cutest, floppiest little dog you've ever seen in your entire life. Like, I love this dog way more than any man should love his dog, all right? I mean, she is my camping buddy, my hiking buddy. She goes into the mountains with me all the time. We just have an absolute blast together. She's a Weimaraner. People often ask me, what kind of dog is that? That's a weird looking dog. Uh, and she's a Weimaraner. They're related to like labs and German short hair pointers. So they're hunting dogs. They're bred to go into the fields and, and uh, flush game and point them and retrieve and all those different things. And so when I bought a hunting dog, myself, I don't hunt, but you know, like I want her to do some of the hunting dog things that she's supposed to do, right? That will fulfill her. It will make her feel like she's living up to her life purpose. And so I said, okay, one of the things I want this dog to be able to do is to retrieve, to go into the water. She's supposed to be a water dog, right? And so I, uh, we were living in Florida when we got her. And so I brought her down to the nearest pond, eight, 10 weeks old, and I stuck her right by the edge of the shore, and I said, okay, little Zelda, in you go, and she took a paw, and she stuck it in the water, and then she pulled back, and then she went a little further out, but you know, no matter how hard I tried to like, you know, just egg her on a little bit, she never wanted to get in the water. She was scared to go swimming at any point that day. And I got a little frustrated with my dog, to be honest with you. I'm like, this, this Weimaraner is defective. It's supposed to be a swimming dog, you know? Like I wanted a dog that would go swimming. And so after about 30 minutes or so of like us just fooling around on the shore, I finally decided enough is enough. This dog needs to learn how to swim. And so I scooped her up in my arms I walked out to the edge of the dock, and I gave her the old heave-ho. <laughs> not kidding you. I chucked that dog, not just into the water, but up into the air and then into the water. Now, as soon as I tossed her off the deck, I knew I'd made a mistake. Because as I threw her, I apparently and unintentionally put a little English on her, okay? So I threw her, and she flies through the air, and she spins backwards in the air, so that her eyes lock with mine. I'm not kidding you guys. And I could see in her sad little blue eyes, I thought you loved me. And she's flying through the air. She splashes into the water. And in that moment, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, this is Florida. There are alligators everywhere. What if that's the reason she didn't want to go in the pond? What if she somehow sensed that there was an alligator just waiting and I threw it a snack? Like, oh my gosh. Now I'm, you know, unclench, relax a little bit, okay? The story does not end with my dog being eaten by an alligator, okay? She's eight years old and doing fine. But she lands in the water. She starts splashing, yipping. Howling, and I'm like, I'm the worst owner ever, you know? I mean, it's a good thing I don't have kids because I probably would do the same thing with them. I'm like, my kid's gonna be a swimmer and chuck him in, you know? So she paddles back over to me and I pick her up. She's drenched and whining and miserable. And so I dry her off as best I can. I take her. This day, to this day, that dog will not swim. She will not swim. Now, she will wade into the water until it gets about chest high. And then she's like, nope, I'm good. And she turns around and she goes back. She will not swim. You can throw toys in the water. 
nah, I'm good. I don't need to chase that. You could throw food in the water. She's not going in after it. I ruined this poor dog when it comes to swimming in the water. Now, here's what I did wrong. I went too fast with her. I tried to go from zero to a hundred like that, you know? Yeah, I should have let her ease in at her own pace. I should have let her test out the water and paddle a little ways and come back. The worst thing I could have done was to pick her up by the scruff of her neck and chuck her into the water because she wasn't prepared for that. There are a lot of things in life that you've got to build up to. There are a lot of things you've got to, you know, go slow with. You've got to ease into. For instance, if you're a brand new driver, you don't get behind the wheel of a race car. That's a bad idea. Mom and dad give you a four-cylinder hatchback. And even then, it's touch and go for the first few months, right? You've got to ease your way up to a sports car or something a little more exciting, even dangerous. If you want your, ki- your kids, if you're a parent and you want your kids to eat, uh, you know, their vegetables, you don't start with boiled spinach. You know, you work your way up to that. You give them broccoli covered in cheese sauce, you know? You just let them get used to that. And then slowly and surely, you work your way onto something a little deeper. If somebody is trying their first beer, I'm just going to be honest with you. If that's what you're doing, you don't give them a super hoppy IPA right off the bat. You don't give them a stout. You don't give them the heaviest thing you can. You give them like a Molson, you know? You give them beer-flavored water, and you say, start here, kid, work your way up. Now, there are lots of things in our world that you got to go slow with. You can't just jump into the deep end. And a lot of people think that religion is one of those things. That when it comes to faith, the best approach to it is to start small and to start slow. To just dip your toe into the pool of faith and see how it feels and if it fits and if you want to go a little bit further, then you can take another step and another step. And and there are lots of people that approach their faith that way. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Even as a pastor, I'll be honest with you, there is the temptation for me to give you the easy stuff in the scripture. To say, oh, here's the the grace and the mercy, the stuff that everybody should be okay with. And to start with that, and then over time, I'll work you up to the deeper stuff that, that the Bible has to say. But when you look at Jesus, you find out that he didn't take it slow with anybody. We've seen over the last few weeks in this Follow Me series that he asked for an all in commitment from people from the jump. Like the first time he met people, he would walk up to them and he would say, follow me. That's it. No explanation. No further information. Just follow me. And what do you know? There are people in the Bible, we've talked about them for two weeks, that left behind nearly everything in their life so that they could walk after Jesus, become his disciples, learn to do what Jesus did. I mean, it was just, it's mind-blowing that that's the process that Jesus used. But he did. He didn't ease people in. He went from zero to 100 right off the bat. Now, we decided when we were starting Connect Church uh, so long ago, like, you know, forever ago. We're six months old, so if you guys are brand new, if this is your first Sunday, this was not that long ago. But last year, when we were kind of gathering our values, we were saying, who do we want to be as a church? One of the things that we decided was that we were not going to soften the edges of the things that Jesus said and did. There are so many people in our world, and they're like, oh, Jesus, you know, he was like a mellowed teacher, and he just went around, and he was talking about love, bro. You need to love your neighbor, and that's that. But the truth is, when you, that he did say all of those things, but when you dig into the, to the totality of what Jesus said, he said some things that were very blunt, some things that were almost harsh, 
some things that to our modern ears sound offensive. And we decided at Connect we were going to do this. We were going to let Jesus be Jesus. As a church, we were going to do everything we could not to offend anybody. Because Jesus can be offensive enough in and of himself. We were going to make it comfortable. We were going to make it easy. And then when Jesus said something that just we wrestled with and it kind of sat in our heart in a weird way, even though we were his followers, we were just going to let that be. We were going to give you the total truth of what Jesus said and did while he was here on earth and then let you make up your mind as to what you think about the Christ. Now, this morning, we're going to see Jesus take it to another level, you guys. He's going to say something that honestly has the potential to push you away from faith rather than pull you closer. Genuinely does. And I wrestle with that as a pastor because my job is to help you come closer. My job is to help you take steps. But it occurs to me that if Jesus were willing to say some things that potentially push people away and we want to let Jesus be Jesus, then we got to cover this stuff. We got to tell you what he said, and then you can make up your mind as to whether or not you want to follow after Jesus. So here we go. We're going to be in Luke chapter number nine. The good news about this stuff is if you can get past like the surface level of his words, if you can get past the shock factor in what Jesus is about to say, then you will find deep words, truths and teaching and wisdom that have the power to completely reorganize your priorities to make life completely different and better than you ever thought. But you got to dig in a little bit. So let's go to Luke chapter number 9. The verses are here on the screen. You can read along there. If you have your own copy of the Bible, you can follow along. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. In Luke chapter number 9, the Bible says this in verse number 57. As they, meaning Jesus and his first group of followers, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Hmm. Verse 59, Jesus said to another person, Come, follow me. And the man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. What? I thought you were all about love, bro. Another man said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. Seems like a reasonable request. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Woo! I told you, those are harsh words. Those are blunt. Those are direct. They make Jesus sound a little bit uncaring, unsympathetic, honestly, a little bit like a jerk. Like, Jesus, come on, this guy's request seems very reasonable. He wants to go bury his father. How could you say no to that? And yet Jesus does. This other guy says, I just want to go say goodbye. I want to kiss my mom. Isn't one of the Ten Commandments you're supposed to honor your father and mother? So let me go do that, and then I'll come join the squad. And Jesus says, nope. It's time for you to join now or never. I got to tell you, as somebody who takes Jesus' words very seriously, as a pastor, as, as someone who considers himself one of Jesus' followers, I get really uncomfortable with this passage. 
It would be very easy for me to ignore these verses and hope you never find them because you don't read your Bible anyway during the week. So all you ever hear is what I teach you. And so it'd be very easy for me. It'd be very easy for me to just ignore this passage. But I'm telling you, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, you need to know what you're getting into. And you need to know what Christ calls you to. If this passage makes you uncomfortable, then Jesus has accomplished his goal. Because the reason that he uses such direct, bold, and blunt language in these conversations is because they are supposed to shock. They are supposed to grab your attention. These are like smelling salts. Somebody gets knocked unconscious, and you shake them, and they won't wake up. And you slap them on the face, and they won't wake up. You break a packet of smelling salts. You put it under their nose, and they come too. That's what these words are supposed to do. You are supposed to see them as shocking and unbelievable. You're supposed to say, this isn't the Jesus that I knew. I thought Jesus was always love and grace and kindness and meekness and mildness. If he gets your attention, then he's accomplished his job. Now, here's the problem. You and I tend to read these verses as 21st century Westerners, okay? So there's a little bit of circumstance, there's a little bit of context that's going on behind the scenes in their culture that will help you to understand why Jesus says the things that he does. We think it's totally reasonable for this guy to go bury his father. We think it's totally reasonable for this guy to go say goodbye to his mother. But if you understand the context, then you might have a better inclination of why Jesus would speak so harshly. And I think it'll help you to understand what he's offering, inviting you to as well. So I want to go back through. We're going to look at each of these three conversations. We're not going to spend much time on them. But I want to single out a few thoughts that might help you to understand why Jesus responded the way that he did to each of these men. So let's go back to the first guy that showed up in verse number 57. The Bible says here, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, here's what's interesting. This is the only time, as far as I can tell in Scripture, that anybody walks up to Jesus and says, I'm going to follow you. Nobody ever goes up to Jesus besides this guy and says, I am going to follow you. Most of the time, as we've seen over the last few weeks, it's Jesus calling individual people and saying, hey, Jamo, I want you to come follow me. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with this guy walking up to Jesus and saying, I want to follow you. I think that's perfectly okay. There probably were some people throughout Jesus' life that did that to him. But there is something in this man that Jesus senses, something in his statement, something below the surface that gives Jesus a reason to believe that his heart is not in the right spot. That he's not exactly sincere when he says, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere you go. You see, at this time, Jesus was starting to gain a little fame and notoriety. People were starting to know, hey, man, that Jesus guy, he's pretty interesting. He does some miraculous things. He's gathering a posse of people. They're starting to talk about him like he could be the, the Messiah, like he could overthrow the Roman government, like he's a big deal. And not only that, but the people who were with Jesus also started to gain some notoriety. Is that Jesus? Yeah. Is that P? 
Peter? Is that Peter? That's that Peter guy I heard about, right? Yeah, that's Peter. That's him. And there's his brother. And there's the other guys, the other 12. And so it's entirely possible that Jesus senses just below this man's very religious and seemingly spiritual words that there is a hard issue going on here. Maybe this guy came up to Jesus and he said, I'll follow you anywhere you go. Not because he believed Jesus was the Messiah, not because he believed Jesus had the words of life, but because he saw Jesus as his own path to power. It's entirely possible that that's what he had in mind. In fact, I think it's likely given what Jesus said. Jesus responds to him in a very weird way. He says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, that is Jesus, the promised Messiah, me, I don't even have a place to lay my head. I'm homeless. You want to follow me because you think it's going to make you famous, because you think it's going to make you powerful. Guess what, dude? I don't even have an apartment. I don't know that you want to come following me. You'd be better off following a fox. They could give you more than what I could give you physically speaking. I think this was a guy who said to Jesus, I'll follow you if it benefits me. That was the issue. That was the problem. That's what Jesus sensed in his heart. He said, you're in it because you think I'm going to give you physical things. And somehow you're going to get rich and powerful and famous. And I'm telling you, that's not what I came to do. And so I think the problem with this guy is that he said, Jesus, I'll follow you if it benefits me. Look at the second guy. Verse number 59. Jesus said to another person, come, follow me. So we go back to the regular pattern here. Jesus says to him, come, follow me. And the man agreed. But he said, Lord, first let me return, uh, return home and bury my father. Now look, we read this as if the guy were out and about. He was listening to Jesus teach and he got a text message from his sister. You know, he pulls it out and she says, dad had a heart attack and died. You need to get home now. And, and he's having a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus is like, I want you to be my follower. And he's like, but I got to go home. My dad just died. I need to, to go with the family, and I need to comfort them. We need to make arrangements, pick out a casket, find a suit to bury him under the ground. And like, I want to follow you. It's just bad timing, Jesus. You know, work with me here a little bit. That's how we read this passage. But in truth, that's not what's going on. Because in Jesus' day, they didn't handle dead people the way that we handle dead people, okay? In Jesus' day, it was both a religious and a cultural rule that when somebody died, they had to be buried the day of. Because of the spread of diseases, because of some beliefs that they had about the afterlife, if somebody dropped dead today, they needed to be buried today. It's not like they would wait a week for all the family to come together. No, no, no. They were going in the tomb right then and there. Not only that, but whereas we tend to bury people underground, right, six feet under, that's not how they buried people in this time. They buried people in tombs. They would find rock in a hillside, and they would carve out a chamber, and then they would take the body, the freshly deceased body, they would lay it on a slab inside of the chamber, and then the family would let that body rest. They would let that body actually decompose for a full year. That's the amount of time it took for only bone to be left on the slab. And after about a year, 
the oldest son would go back into the tomb. He would gather up dad or mom or whoever's you know, remains it was, gather up the bones that were left. They would put them in a stone box called an ossuary. And then that would be like a memorial of the one who passed. It's similar, but not quite the same as when we, you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? When we have somebody's ashes, when we cremate somebody, right? Same sort of thing. And so when this guy says to Jesus, Jesus, I need to bury my father first. It's not like dad suddenly died and he's got to rush home to handle the arrangements. What he's actually saying is, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I need to wait until the proper period of mourning is over so that I can go in, take care of dad's remains, give him a fitting burial. If the oldest son in the family did not do this, it would have been a giant disgrace in their culture. It would have been an awful way to treat your father who had passed away. But I want you to understand that Jesus is saying, give me a leave. Give me some time. I'll need about seven months, eight months. Could have been up to a year, Jesus. I need you to give me this time. And then don't worry, this time next year, after I've handled stuff with my dad, I'll come find you. And then I will be your disciple. This guy said the same sort of thing that the first guy did. He said, I'll follow you if it's convenient. If the timing is right, Jesus. I'll follow you if all the circumstances in my life align so that it's simple and it makes sense. But if they don't, well, then sorry, you're just going to have to wait. I'll get around to you when it's convenient. Last guy. He says to Jesus, or Jesus says to him, come follow me. And he said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. And Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, again, this is the one that gets me, you know, because I'm like, of course you'd want to go say goodbye. When Amber and I moved from the U.S. up here to Canada, I hugged my mom and my dad as hard as I possibly could. I mean, I just couldn't imagine saying, deuces, we're going to the Great White North and walking out. I, my, my mother and dad would have come up here and hunted me down. Like, there's no way I could have gotten away with that. And this guy says, I just want to go say goodbye. And Jesus, I don't know what's going on. It's like, He's got a reason that he never gives. I don't know if he senses, like this guy's going to go back to his family and he's going to say, Mom, Dad, you're never going to guess. I found this homeless rabbi and I'm going to go follow him around the country for the next few years. Doesn't that sound great? And Mom and Dad are like, boy, have you lost your mind? You're not going anywhere. And he would have, you know, he would have never gone to follow Jesus. I don't know if there was something there because Jesus never explains. He just says, nope. If you return home, then you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, that word fit is a bit of an unfortunate translation. It is. The word that Jesus uses actually means useful. And, and, and the old English word fit carried that connotation, but in modern English, it doesn't really. So what he's saying is, if you uh, go back to your family, if you're so concerned about your old way of life and the things you used to get to do and what you're doing or not doing now, then you're not going to be useful to me. So maybe you should wait until you're ready to make an all-in commitment. All three of these guys had different issues, different excuses, different things that they were fighting through, but ultimately they were all saying the exact same thing. Jesus, I'll follow you if. Jesus, I'll follow you if. I will follow you if 
Jesus, I'll follow you if. You see, they wanted to follow Jesus on their terms, not his terms. And I'm going to be real honest with you. I do the same thing. And you probably do as well. Man, how often has my heart said, Jesus, I'll follow you if it's going to benefit me. Jesus, I'll follow you, sure. Because like, if I do all the right things and I go to church and I give and all that stuff, then you're going to be obligated to bless me. You're going to have to make it so that life goes well for me because I'm doing the right thing. I'm faithful. I'm here. I'm a Christian. So you've got to make it, God, so that I get to keep my job or I get a promotion. You've got to make it. I'll follow you if you make it so that my kids never get sick. Jesus, I'll follow you if it means I can finally get a wife. Jesus, I'll follow you if things go well for me, if I'm blessed, if I'm happier and, and I have more. Because I said yes to you. How often is my heart, how often does your heart say, Jesus, I will follow you, but I need to wait for a a more convenient time, you know? Like right now I'm in school and it's just so crazy and hectic. And if, if you'll just give me a little bit of time, let me finish my degree. Let me get through this program and then I'm going to be able to get a good job and I'm going to have all the resources in the world to bless your kingdom. You know, we get so spiritual about it. But what happens You graduate, and then you're like, oh, man, you know, I want to follow you, but right now I'm really focused on getting a husband or a wife. That's my thing. Let me do that, and then we're going to serve you together, God. Two is better than one, so give me another year, and I promise by that point we'll be ready to go. And then it becomes, well, the kids are young, and we just don't have a lot of time. We're so busy, so maybe we ought to wait until they grow up and move out of the house. Hallelujah. Once that happens, God, we'll be ready to go. But then what happens? You notice, oh, man, my retirement account is not where it needs to be, and if I start dedicating time and resources to to following Jesus, then that's going to take away from our comfort and our ability uh, to, to do what we want whenever we retire. There's always a reason for it not to be a convenient time. And yet you and I, I do it just as much as you do. I find any excuse I can to say, ah, just not yet. Give me a little longer, Jesus, and I promise after this, I'll be ready to go. I do the same thing as this third guy. I say, Jesus... I'll follow you if it makes sense. Because Jesus didn't give him an explanation. Jesus never said, this is why I don't want you to go home. He was calling him into a trust relationship to believe that Jesus had his best interests at heart, even if he didn't know what those interests were. Even if he didn't have the answers, even if he didn't have the explanation, Jesus was calling him, just trust me. I want you to follow me in this moment. And so often I'm thinking, Jesus, I'll do anything you want. Just tell me why. That's all I want. Just tell me why. Tell me how long this is going to take. Tell me what I'm going to need in the process. If you'll just give me some answers, then I will follow you to the ends of the earth. If, 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 if these guys said, Jesus, I'll follow you if. Now, here's the thing. Disciples. People who are serious about following Jesus, not folks who are religious, not people who are Christians, but those who would consider themselves disciples, followers of Jesus. They don't say, I'll follow if. Disciples say, I'll follow even if. 
Jesus isn't looking for a group of people that will say, hey, I'll follow you if this goes well and if this goes my way and if it's convenient and if I have all the answers. He's looking for people that will say, Jesus, I don't know why, but I am compelled to follow you even if it means that I don't get everything I wanted in life, even if you don't bless me in every way that I hope you will, even if I don't have all the answers, even if it's a horrible time for me to start getting serious about my faith. I want to follow you even if, because here's the thing, if you are one of his followers, then you are by definition following where he leads. That is, he's the one in control. He's the one that gets to dictate where your life goes and what's happening along the way. You cannot follow Jesus and determine your destination. You cannot do both. Either you are letting Jesus lead you, or you're saying, hey, Jesus, follow me. This is where I want you to lead me. And that's a problem because nowhere in Scripture does Jesus go to somebody and say, hey, I'll follow you. You lead. You set the agenda. Nowhere in Scripture does he say that. And it would be a terrible mistake for you to think, I'm going to become a follower of Jesus so that I've got God on my side as I work out my plans for my life. That is not the sort of relationship that Jesus has called you to. He's called you to something much deeper, something much better, something much more beautiful. You cannot follow Jesus and dictate your pace and path. You can't do it. You have to let him lead. You have to let him be in charge. That's what it means to be a follower, a learner, a disciple. And when I say that, there are some of you that say, then I'm out. I'm done. This is not what I thought it was. This isn't what I want to sign up for. I thought if I showed up here today that God would bless me. I've got this issue in my life and I'm just uh, like, I figured I'd show up. I'd do my duty. God would see my effort and then I would be rewarded. And I'm telling you, that is not the way God works. Listen, Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. He is the King of kings. He is the resurrected Messiah. He's not your personal assistant. He doesn't exist to do what you want Him to do. He exists to accomplish His Father's agenda here on earth to love people, to redeem and reconcile all things to himself. And if that plan contradicts your life goals, guess which one's going to win? Jesus does not exist for you, but we exist for him. We exist for his purposes because he loves us and invites us into this relationship. But I don't want you to get the idea that this is soft that this is mushy, that there's no definition, and I can dictate terms in this relationship. That is not how it works. And here's the thing. We're so hypocritical, like I am. So hypocritical in this. Because I don't want to be in control of my life when things are going bad. When everything is going to crap and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's all falling apart. I'm like, Jesus, take the wheel. And then when life goes good, I say, Jesus, take the back seat because I'm going to take over again, at least until I drive this into the ditch once more. I'm so hypocritical. I can't ask Jesus to be in control when things are out of control. They're always out of my control. I'm never in control. 
And so this follow relationship, this discipleship relationship is surrender. It is saying, not my will, but your will be done. Not my goals in life. Maybe they'll happen, but if they don't, that's okay because I'm following you. I'm not asking you to follow after me. Disciples don't say, I'll follow you if. They say, I'll follow you even if. And if you're here this morning and you say, I'm sorry, this is too much. You should have dipped my toe into the shallow end, Dan. I'm out. I want you to know that's okay. Jesus gives you that out himself. He didn't try to convince and sway everybody. There is a calling aspect to this. But I believe there are some of you guys that have been coming for a few weeks and you hear the words of Christ, you sense the life that's in this place and you know that he is speaking to you and he's saying, follow me. And you've been saying, Jesus, I will follow you if, I'll follow you if, I'll follow you when, but first let me. And he's saying, don't say you'll follow me if, say you'll follow me even if. If you can make that sort of commitment, then you will be able to walk after Jesus every single day of your life. You will never want to hit the unfollow button because you say to him, I'll follow you even if. Come whatever may. I'm not going to put any boundaries. I'm not going to put any restrictions. I'm not going to define what my relationship with Almighty God looks like. I am going to trust what He says and does in my life.